The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen now. ...on this, and we kind of bullshit for a minute. I have mastered that art. <laughs> this yeah. is right up we Paul's are, alley. <laughs> we are good at bullshitting. <laughs> are we allowed to swear? Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't know what the uh, explicit level was. No, I don't care. Well, I mean, this track, I don't think that's necessary, Jason. Fuck you. It's a it's an existential journey about finding your inner truth, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, save that for the save that for when we're really going. <laughs> Welcome to season seven, episode seven of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through every song in the Pearl Jam catalog. I'm your host, Brandon Palomo. Each episode, I go track by track with a guest through every album, soundtrack, single, and B-side to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon talking about the Riot Act track, I Am Mine, with my guests today back on the show, Jason Carapesi and Paul Gillieri. Hello, fellas. How you doing, Brandon? Pleasure What's to be happening? here. J- Jason and I are thrilled, thrilled to be chatting about this track. Did I say your names right? I should, I should always yeah, check. Paul Gillieri, Jason Carapesi. Okay. You're all over it, buddy. Two two surnames often butchered, uh, said with quite a plum, I must say. Hell yeah. I don't know. I've been doing this for a while, and I've listened to you guys for a while. You are from the State of Love and Trust podcast, and thank you guys for coming back. Is this where you edit in all the crowd noise cheering for us? Let's see. We 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 got uh, Jason last time. So before we start, as you know, I have to ask Paul. When did you first hear of Pearl Jam? Uh, junior high. Junior high is a good friend of mine. Was friends with a, a neighbor who was considerably older. So we were like I don't know, twelve, thirteen years old, and this guy was like seventeen, eighteen years old. And um, he gave my buddies some CDs. He gave them uh, Pearl Jam's Ten. Uh, he gave him uh, a couple other other albums as well, and my buddy was like, "Dude, you, you gotta listen to this album. You, you, you gotta check this out." So he he lent me the CD, and I brought it home, and was instantly hooked with once. Uh, just, just the master slave comes in. I'm like, "Yeah, oh, this is kind of interesting and weird." And then that blistering guitar just cuts through, and and I I just man, this, this blew, it literally blew my mind. I mean, I, it's like that. Uh, what was the, um, remember those cassette tapes and it was like a dude in a suit and he's sitting in a chair and like his, the tie and the hair is all like blown backwards. I forget what the, was it, it was uh, Maxell, Max, Max, Maxell or something. Right. That's literally how I felt listening to that song. <laughs> so I've been, I've been hooked ever since. And, um, you know, I just it, it did a deep dive and just wanted to hear everything they had ever done and just been addicted but he hated black i did initially uh you know just being like a hormonal teenager you're you're what is this the slow love song i listen to this <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> I, I i would traditionally skip over that song until one day i'm like you know what i'm just gonna let the album play through because that's what you know that's what the that's the kind of thing that people who listen to alternative <laughs> radio would do man right so i just let it play all the way through and then because uh, that's what it was back then right they were called alternative then of course, alternative became like jars of clay or something. <laughs> but but before that, 
uh, that's what we had. And so I let black play all the way through and mind blown again. And it just, you know, the passion and, and the synergy with all the band members just coming together there at the end, just, ah, man, loved it. So it, it became my favorite Pearl Jam song, still is my favorite Pearl Jam song. But initially it was, it was once that really hooked me. So if you had that aversion to black, what, what were your feelings about release then at the end of the album? Um, I, you know, I, I liked release. I think it was the verse, the intro and the verse to black that I had trouble accessing mm-hmm. at that point in my life. It was, uh, there's, there's almost kind of a, a, kind of a bluesy element to it. And I think that black as a song, there's a maturity to that song that I was not ready for musically. Lyrically, I, I was, you know, fine, but I mean, musically, I think I was just more into smack me in the face type of a riff or uh, if you were going to go unplugged something that had more rhythm to it i guess mm-hmm. where it was that just it was very soulful i felt in terms of of what stone was trying to do with the guitar and uh it just took me a while to to really i guess sync with it to sync with it and once i did it it was so infectious to me that i had to listen to it all the way through and and it became a song that i literally it became like a an obsession to the point where you know part of our show we have a a lyric of the week and then a best live version well the the genesis of that whole process for me as a pearl jam fan started with this you know excursion into the world of black where i loved it so much I, i went on the hunt for these live versions of it and back then, this is like, you know, the age of Napster, right? And so, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm like digging through whatever I could find online. And, and you know, I, early stuff like Utrecht and, and some of the, the European shows back in 92. And uh, I just had this catalog of live versions of Black. And I, I put together an album of what I thought were the 10 best versions live. And I would play that it literally like 10 or 11 or 12 versions of Black in a row. <laughs> live. And I must have worn the hell out of that CD. So it... Uh, it's definitely been a, a fun ride with that track, and it's it's interesting to see where it's taken me with the band, you know. And it makes sense that it's become it was the very first lyric and live cut of the week on our show. It was, yeah. yeah. You did all that research before, so you were all perfectly ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's the story. Okay. Did did you what were you listening to before Pearl Jam? Were you listening to just rock too, or were you listening to pop? I, I mean, I don't know how old you guys are. If this it was, was kind of a blend. My, my my dad was a huge classic rock guy. So, I mean, I, I would, I grew up in a house where you had, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin, uh, Johnny Winter, um, The Who, Kiss, a, a lot of the 80s hair metal stuff too was always blasting in the house. Ted Nugent. I mean, it's just a wide variety of stuff on, on the rock spectrum, at least. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom was all into the, you know, uh, Kenny G and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah. K101. <laughs> like literally, I, I'd be in the car with my dad and it's just like pounding rock. And then I'd be in the car with my mom and, it, you know, she'd turn on the radio. K101, light rock, less talk. And it's like, I don't want to hear this, you know? But, <laughs> uh, I would say that initially Michael Jackson was head o- above, he, uh, head over heels, the best musical artist to me. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I love Michael Jackson's music. He, it, the spectacle of everything that he did was so interesting to me. Uh, that was probably the, the first artist that I fell in love with musically. Just loved what he was doing. Then I kind of went down the rock path with Metallica's Black Album and Aerosmith's Pump. So th- those two albums really grabbed me as well. So that kind of brought me, I guess, into a new realm of music that wasn't so rooted in the kind of rock and roll that I was. I grew up listening to with my father. 
And that just kind of gave me kind of a springboard into exploring what else was out there in the rock scene at the time in the early 90s. And uh, eventually it led me to Nirvana, which I actually wasn't a huge fan of at first. And then, uh, like I said, a buddy of mine gave me Pearl Jam's 10. And then that just sent me spiraling down that whole path of, you know, Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden, mm -hmm. uh, all these different acts and uh, Alice in Chains, all that stuff. And just been musically hooked ever since. Hell yeah. And it brings you to now here with me. It sure does. <laughs> you guys having your own show. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. This uh, this was the first single from Riot Act. Uh, put it out October 8th, 2002. Uh, they first played it a couple weeks later, uh, October 21st at Bridge School. We thought we'd try a new one. It uh, seemed like a no better place. Ed wrote it the night before um, the August Virginia Beach show, which was the first post Ross killed show that they had. He kind of, uh, I guess, needed to prove to himself that what they were doing still mattered, I guess, and they could still go through with this, I guess, this whole rock thing or whatever. It still mattered, still meant something. Um, on it, uh, it has uh, the B-sides Undone, Bush Leaguer, and Down on it, depending on the version you have. Some might just have Down, some might just have Undone. The one I have is the Australian version that uh, has all three of those guys on there. Uh, this is also one of the videos uh, that they recorded at uh, Chop Suey that uh, are a couple other ones in here on Riot Act as well. Um, so I guess that means it's time to get into the song then since it's got all that uh, information out of the way. Uh, let's see. I am mine. It really, it hit me. Just this, this is, this is months later by now, but uh, I know that uh, the kids with their TikTok and everything, there was the, the sea shanty TikTok going around and it's kind of like, oh, this would have been perfect. Oh, if I was like a kid and I was, you know, listening to, listening to Pearl Jam and this TikTok uh, thing was going on. It's like, the sailfish there all standing in line, fighting and hoping to buy themselves time. May I figure as each Brit goes by, I only own my mind. I just wanted to get that wow. out there. But <laughs> <laughs> what an accent. Little limerick there. Thank I'm, you. I'm seasick just listening to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, this was like the first sort of optimistic Pearl Jam song, maybe. Mm. I think that at least hit me with a sort of like, oh, wow, like. I've been just in my life being a moody teenager and everything like that. And I guess I'm grown up and out of school and everything. And I don't know. I, I, I don't have to be that way anymore. Maybe, I guess. Well, I, I still didn't do anything about it, but you know, I was <laughs> kind of like, Oh, it's, it's a possibility now. Maybe was it, was, was that uh did you guys feel that from the song? It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know what to expect with with riot act to be honest with you I, if memory serves me correct love boat captain was our first introduction to this album right and and i wasn't thrilled with that track so i i was 
skeptical about what what we were going to get with Riot Act. And then upon listening through the album, I Am Mine, lyrically, was was the song that spoke to me the most. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's on the Greatest Hits album. It, it's the, it was the highest charting single from this particular album. But when I dug into it and kind of learned more about Ross Guild and what have you, and that this is great story about Eddie going to Pete Townsend after that whole situation happened, because you know the Who had experienced something similar in the '70s, where where they lost some some fans to to a tragedy as well. And Eddie just saying to to Pete, you know, I I, I can't, I don't know if I can do this anymore after that whole tragic affair. And you know, he he said he was in the fetal position, and Pete looked at him and said, "You can handle this." And Eddie was like, "No, nah, I don't know if I can." And and I don't know, you know, I don't think I can, I'm losing it. And Pete just dead eyed right in his face. You can handle this. No, you can handle this. And it's just always been, I think, difficult for the band because they've always practiced like a safety first approach. You know, they were never the band that was trying to get you to do the mosh pit thing. I mean, Eddie would would always be the one yelling, be careful, be careful, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, they were really good at kind of lifeguarding and safeguarding fans and prioritizing that during their shows, no matter how raucous the music and the energy was. And Eddie had said at the time, you know, that he was doing a bit of woe is me, how did this happen to us? Uh, you know, that was kind of this this rut he was stuck in. And, and Pete said, because you can handle it. That's probably why it happened, because you can handle it. And Eddie said that that empowered him to get his act together and stop feeling sorry for himself and for others and just like, don't react, respond. And part of that response was this song, you know, which he wrote, I think, in in Virginia Beach. And I've always found the song inspirational in the sense that, you know, there's so much in life you cannot control. And this song is really a celebration of what you can control because, you know, the end, all that is beyond our control, but who you are, who you want to be, the energy you put out in the world, that's yours. And there's an affirmation to that, and it's effective. And you're right about the positivity that is seemingly absent in much of Pearl Jam's music up until that point. Uh, I, I think largely just the political landscape at the time with albums like Bunural and, and, and uh, Riot Act coming out during kind of an era of, of the country really struggling with things and, and you know, wars overseas and terror, terrorism and what have you, different foreign policy mistakes. <laughs> and I felt like this was a very personal song. And what appealed to me about it was how easily the band had reached, or I'm sorry, had, had found the ability to, to speak to listeners in such a way that empowered us to really look at difficult situations and find the goods in them, to look at a difficult situation. And instead of saying, why is this happening to me? As, as Pete Townsend said, because you can handle it. That's why it's happening to you. If you couldn't handle it, then, then would life really allow that to happen to you. And it's just kind of a a song about survival on so many levels and remembering that there's a resilience to each of us and a self-reliance within each of us. We just have to find it sometimes and it might take chaos. It might take these trials and tribulations to awaken that awareness within us and inspire us to be this better version of ourselves through through tragedy can come triumph, but it, it, it requires that you sometimes go through that path and that muck and um, for that reason, it really spoke to me. So it, it's, I think You Are is still my favorite track on that album, but this one is, is right up there with it. This is a song, you talk about Pete Townsend giving him the strength, right? Well, as much as a musical godfather and mentor as he was to Ed, think of the gravitas in him saying that to Ed, plus the fact that he had gone through that with The Who in Cincinnati. So that he was saying it with, not, not just as a musical mentor, but like, hey, I've been there. 
you can get through yeah, this. Empathy. Exactly. Instead um, of just sympathy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to me, when I first heard this song, and I was so ready for, for new music, new Pearl Jam music at the time, and I remember hearing it on the radio and thinking to myself, whoa, I did not expect a song like this. At first, my instinct was to be a little disappointed, musically speaking, because again, at the time, I don't think I was emotionally mature enough to handle something as as beautiful and positive as it was. I was looking for another brain of J or evolution, you know, for, as you know, the more more recent um, rock and stuff, a break or fall, if you will. And so I was like a little taken aback, like, whoa, they're they're kind of more subdued here. Over time, though, I have come to appreciate the song quite a bit, and to have the dark makes the light seem more light, that whole thing, and vice versa. You kind of need one for the other. They're kind of intertwined. Otherwise, everything would be light. Everything would be dark. You, there would be no distinction. And to have that as the backdrop, you know, and, and you you have to, the, the moral of the story really is to be comfortable with what you have and who you are, right? And, and not to focus on things that are out of your control, to worry about those things. You are within yourself. You can control what you can control and be grateful for what you have with the acknowledgement and the understanding that some things in life in the world go awry and it isn't your fault necessarily, but you've got to move on and you've got to control what you can control. And I think that too many people concern themselves with the things that they can't. And this, when they concentrate on those things, a lot of times material things, it stresses people out. It, you know, the focus shouldn't be on what you don't have or what your neighbor has. I mean, that's literally, if you, if you are a Religious person, it's literally one of the uh, one of the Ten Commandments is do not you know be envious of your neighbor kind of thing. So, and even if you're not religious, it's still a good thing to practice because all it's going to do is stress you out. So, especially you know, Paul and I live in Los Angeles, and it's one of those cities where what you see apparently is more important than what you are kind of thing. You know, in a lot of ways, and people concern themselves so often. I see this all the time with what their friend has or friend doesn't have, and you know, you could be envious of a of a job that your friend has or how much money they make, and it's like. Listen, man, that, that's, their, that's their life. And if you're truly friends with them, then you're happy for them. And it doesn't affect your life and what you can control. And that's what kind of this song reminds me of is to kind of stay within myself. And you know, we talk about it being a positive song. It's positive in that it's realistic, but it focuses you on, on reality. So many times I call myself realistic and people say, are oh, you just being pessimistic? Because <laughs> a lot of things in reality can be negative, right? And so I, I think about things and people just, you're just being pessimistic. And I'm like, listen, some things just are what they are, but the positive spin is what this song is. It's like, I recognize that people in power can be shitty or the weather could be shitty or this, that, and other thing. But if you focus on what you do have and what you can control, you will find peace in that and contentment. And from there, you will be happy. So it's kind of like a, through the dark becomes the light kind of thing. And I think that really gets punctuated by uh, Mike's solo at the very end. It's very, it's one of the more uplifting solos that he has. So the music really matches the crescendo of the point of the lyrics. And hell, that's what, when Pearl Jam's on fire, that's what they do best. There's the uh, the saying that uh, you know people with anxiety and everything like that uh, sh- should always have in their mind is that uh, worrying is paying towards a debt that never comes due. You know you can only control yourself and everything that's outside of your control. Basically, the only control that you have is how you 
react to it. Mm. It's, uh, you know, cognitive reframing or whatever other sort of uh, thing you got to do to to get to it. And and I think that's a, that's a, a sort of spiritual look at it as far as the, you know, being like, oh, you know, God wouldn't give you something that you couldn't handle or whatever. We're talking about either Lot or, you know, uh, uh, Job or something like that. That angle going in there, if that made any sense of what I just said, I don't know. It's just uh, words coming out of my mouth. Uh, <laughs> yeah, kind it kind of makes me also think about they tell you or you hear like uh, people with addiction or something like that is like you can't change until you hit rock bottom, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this wasn't necessarily Pearl Jam doing something and hitting rock bottom because this wasn't, you know, them making a mistake this was you know just something that happened to them this is something that that just happened and so they didn't really have anything that they had to change i mean there's there are you know members who have had addiction and stuff like that and you know have to change and stuff but i mean there's just a sort of 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 thought in your life of you can either keep on going on and doing whatever you're going to do be it good or bad but there are a whole lot more things that are in your control that you may not realize. And, and a lot of it has to do with, with how you think and how you feel about those things, how you let those things affect you, how you react to those things. It's, it's an approach. It's an approach to life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, you know, talk about being in a mindset or, or being negative or positive or realistic, however you want to term it. I think that comes with wisdom, with experience. When, when, you, when you experience more life, you kind of recognize what's worth worrying about and what's not especially as as people have families um and you have kids and, and you, yeah. you know your family grows certain things you you used to stress about you recognize don't matter as much and you put less stock in them and you know, you wonder why you look at people who are older and I, I i oftentimes feel that they are more kind of at peace with the world and, and not to go on a, on a really bad tangent here but like i think a lot of people when they're younger kind of think about and fear death right and if you talk to people who are older, they're like, yeah, you know, it'll happen when it happens. It's not a big deal. I've lived a good life. And it's like, how do you, when you're young, you can't imagine that mm-hmm. because the idea of not existing and not having any idea what's beyond, if anything at all, is terrifying. And as you get older, you start realizing what this song is talking about, which is just live within the now, man. If I can quote uh, Wayne Campbell, live in the now. Live in the now. <laughs> That was Garth, I think, that said that. Uh, Ga- sorry, Garth. My, my apologies, <laughs> Mr. Algar. But yeah, it, it's, it's literally a mindset. And that ma- mindset can change over time. And, and just the more you experience, the, le- the less you're inside your little world, the more you experience the outer world. Um, and this is a spiritual and, and, and a philosophical and a political mindset, all kind of Venn diagrammed in some possible way. You start realizing that it's just how you look at things. And the more you look at things with a with a calm attitude that, that you are just yourself and you can control what you can control, the better you're going to be and the less you're going to worry about what you can't control. And the, probably the, the nicer you're going to be to other people yeah. because you might see a negative situation happening and be like, shit, uh, I can't control that, but I can help them. You know, I can I can do that. I can help them. And maybe that's something that they need. So I think I think a song like this kind of speaks to just being a better person overall. But it starts with number one, right? Yeah, there's there's also that line right after that about the sorrows. Like, I only know my mind where, you know, everybody 
you don't know what's going on with somebody else. Like, well, if they've been having a crappy day, so that's why they're acting like that. And, you know, everybody's thinking about themselves and not paying attention to you don't think that your makeup looks good enough that day or it's kind of like, ah, you know, this shirt has like a little bit of stain on it. And I know everybody's staring right at that kind of, you know, everybody's own in their own little worlds. So, I mean, if you want your little world to be better, it's up to you. You know, I mean, other other people can act on you, but I mean, they're usually not doing it, hopefully, usually not doing it out of malice or anything like that. It's it's just because they're just looking at their, you know, their own feet watching where they're going. They're not noticing that you're right there and that they're going to bump into you. Yeah. And there's a distinction, too, between focusing on yourself and being present unto yourself and being self-involved, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're self-involved, then that there's an implication of carelessness towards others and ambivalence towards others. Whereas if you're just self-aware of everything about you, positive and negative, there is a humility there. And that humility becomes other positive things um, like selflessness, where you would help other people, right? So they're, they're in, you know, focusing inwards is there's two sides to that coin. And, and obviously this song is talking about the side, the good, the good side of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking out for number one. It's like, yeah, you should be, but how do you mean it? <laughs> how do you mean yeah, it? Yeah. Because that's, that's the key. Um, you know, are you, are you pushing people down while you're looking out for number one? Are you also helping people up? And there's, there's that distinction cuts across a lot of swaths of our society in many different ways. You know, talking about this song being, uh, it's got that yeah, you know, that swingy kind of feel to it, and and to be the not a nursery rhyme, but like to be that kind of song that young people hear to kind of teach them to be the good version of self-aware and and, and self. Exactly, exactly. There's a there's a much bigger difference there between it's, it's like when you argue confidence versus arrogance. There is mm-hmm. they kind of mean a similar thing, but there's a very distinct line between the two for a reason. I don't know if it's that distinct. It is uh, kind of I think maybe blurry there between how selfish and how i think self-assured possibly they're they're sure so maybe, maybe it's it, it could be it, it could be um distinct for uh, uh, more distinct for others than 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 not and there's just there is a you line other but people. you could be a very confident person yeah. but it's very obvious that you're also very selfless at the same time whereas if you appear to be very confident but you are a dick to everybody then that's a pretty distinct line mm-hmm where it gets gray, um, that's another interesting conversation that I don't know that I have the brain power to comprehend. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 a difference between putting on the mask in the airplane on yourself, and then you know putting it on your child or something like that, and then being like George Costanza and pushing everybody out of the way when the fire alarm goes it off. It was an inferno. And, uh, closing the door behind you. <laughs> you were pushing people out of the way. Yeah, just like getting in deep, just getting in philosophical, getting in these songs. <laughs> we, we we can we can we can dive down if we need to be, man. I think I, think, I think I got the I think I got the right people to talk about it <laughs> since you guys get into the songs and, and issues and stuff like that too. Um, I don't know, like there's there's so much things that you can go deep on this too. I mean, because also like you know the world at the time too. This is post nine eleven and. Yeah, that's another thing of uh, another instance of finding yourself just in the worst possible situation and, you know, having to get out of it, you know? I mean, like a lot of people might think that, I I know that like I think sometimes too, is just kind of like, oh my gosh, if this ever happened to me, how would I live 
past that, you know, like, how could I ever get over, you know, somebody close to me dying or something horrible happening, you know, losing my job, all that sort of stuff, you know, that's kind of like, oh, if, if something horrible happens to me, like, I don't think I could survive. I don't think I could go on. And then, you know, you kind of look back at your life as like, oh, I've have had crappy things happen to me. And I just keep going, you know, you, you, you don't know how you're going to react to a situation until you find yourself in that situation. And, you know, until you can look around and see, okay, this is what I have around me. Now I need to figure out what I can do. Because if you're just looking out into the future, of course, you don't know how you're going to handle it because, because you're not there. And this is where sympathy and empathy come into play, right? Yeah. You, you, you may not know what that's like, but you have to try because until you do, you won't know. And then when you get into the situation where it is bad for you, you've already attempted to get your mindset in a place where someone could feel as bad as you currently do. And there's probably some security in that, knowing that, oh shit, I've, I felt for somebody in this situation, a similar situation before, I bet you there are people that feel the same about me right now. And there's a, it's almost like a blanket of, of friendship or whatever you want to call it that you could feel, but it helps to be in the right frame of mind. And so, you know, th thinking about 9-11, I wasn't in, I'm from the area, but I wasn't there uh, when it happened. I was in, I was in college in Florida, but there were a lot of people from the New Jersey, Connecticut, New York area in my classes. And my, my dad worked in Manhattan. He was on the last train out of the city that day. And people would come on, going into Grand Central Station, the last trains to leave to go back to Connecticut. And he said that there are people coming onto the trains just covered in soot looking like ghosts, not because they were covered in white soot, but because their faces were blank of humanity. Mm -hmm. They were just so stunned. So that day, even if you weren't directly involved, you, you if you are a humble and empathetic person, you instantly understand to a degree what that person is feeling. And it's the, the thing that you can control is to be there for that person in, in the, the way that they need. Um, if, they, if they need you to stay away, you stay away. If they need you to, to come in close, you come in close. So when he talks, when, when Ed talks about them being a year and a half removed, first time back proper in New York City, I, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was sitting in the, in the upper bowl um, because there's a lot of 10 club members that night. <laughs> and as is the style in New York, he, I think he mentioned the idea of the, the country being folded in half and how the people in Seattle kind of think a lot of times very similarly to the people in the Northeast part of the country and how they really felt it um, because they are empathetic people. If I could just say, uh, as a representative of the group, I just want to tell you, this is the first time we've been here since that big day about a year and a half ago. It seemed to change everybody. And uh, we were on the opposite coast in Seattle, and uh, everybody felt it, and we felt it. And uh, we had just been through Denmark the year before. And uh, we certainly knew what it felt to see loss of life and to feel it deeply and know how many people each life affected so uh i'm taking the opportunity now a year and a half later since it's the first time we've been back proper just to tell you we were all thinking about it and we think we, we we think you handled yourselves so great and uh this song's, uh, this song's about uh, personal safety and the feeling of being secure and even free. It's called I Am I. And it, it just, it was an, a really nice moment, um, finally starting to understand what the song was about and then being in the city for the, for the first playing of that song after 9-11 in the city. It's something else. 
And we don't often have positive, uplifting songs bringing people together in that sense. Usually they're bringing people together over something negative, um, which is probably why a lot of us kind of got into the band in the early 90s, mid 90s, because of kind of the camaraderie of of rallying around some negative shit that we're feeling. Like, well, <laughs> this is this is the camaraderie around something positive, And it's a it's a little beacon in, in the Pearl Jam catalog. And I'm glad it's there. Yeah, a lot a lot of the. I know how somebody else thinks, and like you're saying, like empathy. That's like uh, that's 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 what that's what art's supposed to do, man. It's supposed to bring us together, man. Like, I feel the same way. You know how I feel. It's all like that, man. <laughs> um, um. So then let's 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 wrap it up. Yeah. Then uh, we got uh we got Paul last time. So this time we're gonna wrap up with you, Jason. I'm gonna ask you just like the the end of single video theory. Eddie was asked, this is Pearl Jam 30 years. So I, I we we want to know what does Pearl Jam mean to you? Well, I remember when you put out, I, I believe it was about six minutes long, a six minute episode on your channel uh, a few months back, maybe, maybe in the summer or the spring. It feels like time is not a thing anymore. I don't even know what, when it was. <laughs> but I remember listening to that and being like, what an interesting mini little episode that poses a large question. And I think I might actually like recorded a very quick video on our channel to answer your question. But of course, it was like 15, 20 seconds. So it wasn't too deep. But here I can expand a little bit. So Pearl Jam to me, and you can ask my wife and you can ask Paul because they're the two people that probably know most about how the band has impacted me. And I've made my my wife a fan in the process because we went to Seattle together um, in 2018 and she got to really see what it meant to me because I could go on and on and on and recite facts and I could tell the story about how I got into the band or I can say when my first concert was and all of these little details. And I can remember the exact date of the first show, September 13th, 1998 in Hartford. And I, I can I, I can recite all this information, right? And that's just that's like, you know, nerdville stuff. <laughs> but like what how does it impact you, you know, in the cockles of the heart, if I can quote Dennis Leary. It it's when you have a band that is we we just finished talking about I am I where you know, you, you kind of joked about, you know, hippie stuff and just cool. Can't we just all be together and be cool, man? Like, like there, there are jam bands that, that only focus on that kind of vibe and that's great. But there are bands who kind of take a more 360 approach to to life and how they write music about it and write lyrics about it. And I think that this song, you know, just helps to prove the point that Pearl Jam has written music about kind of every way I could possibly feel kind of like a wheel of life sort of thing. And when I got into the band in the early 90s, when 10 was out, you know, I was feeling a certain way as an adolescent and it hit all the right notes. And as I matured, the band matured, obviously they're like, you know, 15 years older than me, but there's just something about the way that they have written music over all these years. There's always something that speaks to how I'm feeling at the time. And even if there are songs where... Uh, maybe the subject matter is something that we've heard all before, you know, broken hearts or being angry at, you know, leaders in power or, you know, you can repeat those subject matters a number of times and everyone's written songs like that, but how do you do it and how do you say it? And is there a new way to kind of get around this or is there a new example that makes you feel a combination of emotions that you didn't know you had before about a certain subject? And they find ways to do that better than other bands that I'm massive fans of i mean i love metallica i love rage against the machine zeppelin acdc i mean those are just rock bands that i'm into but there, there there's something you know, I, I hate to use this term because it's it's been used before and it's it's a book but it's it's been all-encompassing right mm -hmm. they managed to tick so many boxes and do it with music that i love both from jangly little 
um, you know, walks through the down the road like you know off he goes or or thumbing my way to just face melters like Brain of Jay and our namesake State of Love and Trust. I mean, it, it's in everything in between. Blood, the same band that did Blood did Future Days. <laughs> Future Days was my first song at my wedding. You know, Paul c- quoted present tense when he when he officiated my wedding. There's there's reasons why you can pick out any song or or line or or solo break and it makes you feel another emotion that compounds in something else. And I had never found a band to do that as as great as they have, and they will forever be my, my favorite band because of all these things. Hell yeah. That's all I can tell you. Without without falling over from from emotional emoting. That doesn't make any sense, but there you go. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, thanks you two for for coming back. Uh, I'll, I'll let you guys get your get your plugs in now. Oh well, uh, state of love and trust underscore pod on Instagram, s o l a t underscore pod on Twitter. We're on Facebook too with the most. It's just our title, and um, yeah, just subscribe to the channel if you can. There you go. That what Paul just said. He always says every episode. <laughs> so. Um, our, our listeners are your listeners and vice versa. And, and I, I love the family that we've got. And our friend Randy over at Lavin and Four Legs has put together a lovely little group on Facebook that can combines all of our powers like Power Rangers. And so, <laughs> or like, you know, Optimus Prime or something like that. So Hell yeah. activate, you know, come on over, hang out, have a chat. Oh yeah, no problem. That's a, it's I I I I'm like talking yeah, man, to you I, about Pearl fun. Jam because it's uh something that I don't need to uh really think about all that much. It's like oh hey sports. Nope, got no nope, out of that. I got a uh, you know Pearl Jam and uh, maybe '90s X Men. That's uh that's it for me. <laughs> oh, and Simpsons. Oh, dude, and the Simpsons. Uh, we could be here for days if it, if it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks guys for coming on. Better Band Podcast is produced by ListenUpReno.com and Brandon Pallone and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email ListenUpReno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by their respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from BetterBandPod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at BetterBandPod. I am on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Brandon P and leave me a $3 tip. Or give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to BetterBandPod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guests, Jason and Paul, and as always, this is Brandon saying, Look at these records. Jim Neighbors, Glenn Campbell, the Doodletown Pipers. Now look at her records. They stink!